0: I don't know about you, but I was once lost, but now I'm found because Jesus Christ, you know, came into my heart. I realized once I was a sinner, asked Jesus Christ to forgive me of my sins, come into my heart and save my soul. And my eyes were open, my spiritual eyes, and now I can see. Amen. All right. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 12. We're going to look at one verse of scripture there, but we got other verses we want to look at this morning. We're in our study on spiritual gifts. Today, I want to look at two spiritual gifts. You know, that is of exhortation and mercy. They are two separate gifts, though we're going to look at them together today. So to recap for just a moment, we're looking at first at the serving gifts. After we finish the serving gifts today, we'll begin to look at the speaking gifts starting next week. So thus far, looking at the uh, serving gifts, we've looked at the gift of giving. We've looked at the gift of serving. We've looked at the gift of faith. Now we're going to look at these other two serving gifts. That is of exhortation and mercy. You know, each and every person, once you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior... On top of receiving the gift of eternal life, and that's what you get when you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that free gift of salvation as a result of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection on the cross, uh, other than the, the gift of eternal life, we also receive a special gift, a spiritual gift for the edifying of the body of Christ to be used within the church. Now, let me again emphasize... Though we're responsible for exercising our spiritual gifts, we must make sure we are always good stewards of those spiritual gifts. Our churches are full of people who are not good stewards of their spiritual gifts. And as we've said before, if you are not exercising your spiritual gift within Fairview Baptist Church, then there's someone missing out uh, on a uh, You know, uh, growing with God, being exhorted by God. Yeah, there's someone missing out because you are not exercising your spiritual gift. We must remember that. Our gifts must be used. They must not be misused. People will take advantage of us if we're not careful. And I don't believe it's God's desire. I don't believe it's God's will that his children be taken advantage of. Now, Romans 12, verse 8 says this. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence. And then here he says, he that showeth mercy, let him do so with cheerfulness. Now we begin today with the gift of exhortation. Exhortation simply means this, to comfort, to help to advise or to strengthen. In other words, exhortation is the gift of comforting or strengthening others. In other words, coming alongside others within this church who need to be lifted up, who need to be exhorted, who need to be comforted, or whatever that need might be. It's the ability to provide comfort, the ability to provide courage, help, strengthen someone who needs it. And it can come in many ways, but the end result is coming along alongside someone who has a problem to help build them up, to help encourage them, to help strengthen them, and to help them bear the load that they may be under. Now there's many examples of exhortation within the scripture, but I want to look at one today. If you have your Bible still open, turn to Acts chapter 9, verses 17 through 22. Here we read about a man named Saul. Now Saul was a man who hated Christians. He hated Christians. His whole life revolved around him throwing them into prison, torturing Christians, even killing Christians. That's how bad this man named Saul hated and detested Christianity. His whole life was revolved around just doing away with the Christian movement, the uh, Christian community. And because of that, he was feared by Christians everywhere. When the Christians heard the name Saul, they went to trembling in their boots because they knew how much he hated Christianity, and because they was a Christian, they knew he hated him of uh, them, and they knew if he ever got his hands on them, they were either going to prison, they was going to be tortured, or they was going to even be killed. Now Saul began his career by when he was young feller. He began holding the coats of others as they stoned disciples of Jesus Christ. As they stoned Christians. In fact when Stephen was stoned we see that Paul held the coats of the people as they threw these stones and killed Stephen and and Paul was just there encouraging it you know and it just fed his hunger to stamp out Christianity. So the Christian community feared him. His goal in life was to stamp out this new Christian movement, this, this new Christian, you know, uh, uh, movement that was taken over the world. And because of all his evil, he was greatly feared among the Christian community. Saul was a man who in the minds of most was bound for hell and there was nothing going to stop him from busting the gates of hell wide open. That's how evil he was. That's how wicked he was. That's how much the Christian community, uh, you know, hated him. They would not even witness to uh, Saul because they knew if they even opened their mouth about Christianity, they were probably dead. Now, however, one day God spoke to a Christian man. And this Christian man's name was Ananias. And Ananias, though, you know, he was one of these Christians who feared Saul. He was also a man who loved God. He was also a man who understood obedience to God. Now, let's look at what exhortation looks like here in Acts chapter 9, verse 10 through 22. Exhortation God's style we see right here. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, he said, Behold, I am here, Lord, Ananias responded. And the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold... He prayeth. Now, let's kind of back up. You remember on the road to Damascus here, Saul had an experience he had never experienced before. A bright light shone upon him to the point that it blinded his eyes. It put scales over his eyes. That bright light that Saul met on the road to Damascus was none other than Jesus Christ himself. So, you know, he was told here, you know, that there's this man that he's praying. Now, Paul, uh, Saul is In an attitude of prayer, because he had never experienced nothing like this before. And he had seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Verse 13. Then Ananias answered. (laughs) Now look at Ananias. you, You do see the picture here that Ananias was one of those in the Christian community that feared Saul, right? Ananias said, Whoa. I've heard many things about this man, how much evil he has done to the saints at Jerusalem, and here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that is called on your name. In other words, Ananias is reminding God. uh, Don't you know why he's here? Don't you know that he hates us? Don't you know he hates you? (sighs) Hmm. Isn't it amazing how sometimes we got to remind God of things? But the Lord said to him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Now, don't miss that. God told Ananias, I want you to go to this guy. He's had a conversion experience. And here's what I want you to go tell him. You're about to suffer great things for the Lord. Boy, now, is that ex- ex- exhorting someone to go to him and tell him, you're fixing to go through some troubles, boy. Now, let's read on. And Ananias went his way and entered to the house and put in his hands on him. I want you to notice what that next says. What did he call him? Brother Saul. Do you think Ananias would have ever thought of him referring to Saul as his brother but that's what we see. He went there. He understood that, that, that Saul had had an experience. And he caught, he knows now he's one of his brothers in Christ. Even Jesus that appeared unto thee on the way has come to me. And has said to me that thou might receive thy sight and be full with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales. And he received his sight for And he arose and he was Baptized. And when he had received meat, now look at this, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus, and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues. Now you do understand this Christ is the same one he was killing people over. Now he's in the Jewish synagogues preaching the same Jesus Christ of which he was trying to stamp out the movement of. Isn't God great can't God change lives look I don't care what you've done in your past I don't care what you're doing today God can change your life if he can change the life of Saul he can change the life of anyone and straightway verse 20 he preached Christ in the synagogues and he that look at it that he is the son of God but all that heard him was amazed all right. Now, these people in the synagogue, it kind of shocked them. Now, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Look what he says. Is not this he that destroyeth them that calleth on this name in Jerusalem and came here for that same intent that he might bring uh, them bound back to the chief priest? But Saul increased more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. Now, who was this man named Ananias, and, and what made this man so special? First of all, he was a disciple who loved the Lord. Ananias was a, a disciple. He, he loved the Lord above everything else in life. You see, a true love for the Lord will enable one to do greater things from the Lord than they ever thought possible. He, though he loved the Lord, though, he was also one who feared Saul. So yes, he loved the Lord, but he was also one who feared Saul. All because of his Christian faith, he too was on Paul's seek and destroy list. Though he feared Saul, though, the third thing here is he was one who was obedient to God. Yes, he feared Saul, but he was one who was obedient to God. He did not understand probably when God told him to go to Saul. You know, know, because again, we know that because he questioned God. Now, wait a minute. Ain't this the guy that's come here to kill us? But he was obedient to God. Listen to me. Obedience to God will allow us to go uh, do more than what we ever think possible within our life. A love for God will always allow one to overcome fear and remain obedient to him. Now, not knowing what would happen when this evil man once again received his sight, Ananias put his faith in God. His duty, Ananias' duty was not to question God, but his duty was to go and exhort and encourage and strengthen this person whom God had chose to be his servant and that everyone else feared. That's what obedience will do for us, folks. Obedience for God will always allow us to overcome fear of of ministry, fear of another person, fear of of doing what God says. Look, many times God sends those within our church body to exhort, and, and many times people decline to go to that person whom God is sending because maybe somewhere down the line that person wronged me. I know God's wanting me to go and kind of encourage that person, but Pastor, you don't understand what they've done to me years ago. You don't understand what they said to me years ago. You don't know how they treated me years ago. Can I suggest something to you this morning? Whatever that person has done to you in the past is nothing to compare to what Paul had done to Christians in the past. You know your problem? You ain't going to like this, but you got to love me regardless you're not obedient to God. You can make all kind of excuses, but you lack obedience to God. Because if God sends you to someone... To exhort that person, to lift that person up, to pray with that person, you know, we have to be willing to do it. Exhortation you know, don't care what someone has done in the past, what they look like, how different they may be. Their only concern is that, look, God is sending me to come alongside this person, to exhort them, to encourage them, to help strengthen them, and, and I'm going to do that because I want to be obedient to God. Now, the second thing we see here is this. Paul's strengthening was both physical and spiritual. We see that in verse 19. Paul was one, uh, was of no use to God until someone come alongside him to comfort him, to exhort him, to build him up, and to strengthen him. There are many within our churches today that need that same type of exhortation in order to help pick themselves up and be what God has called them to be. You see, life has beat them down. Maybe others have put them down. They have no self-esteem, no feel of, of, of they feel unworthy to serve God, and they just need someone to simply come alongside them. Okay, and help encourage them. Yes, you can do it. If God has called you to do it, yes, you can do it. You may fear doing it. You may think you're going to fail, but God can overcome that fear in their your life. That's what exhortation is. It's helping them to understand. If God has called you to do this, yes, you can do it. You help strengthen them and lift them up. You help dust the, you know, the dust off their britches and help them get on the right track. And if you have the gift of exhortation and you're not fulfilling your duty, there will be those who never fulfill their duty. Let me say that again. If you have the gift of exhortation and you're not fulfilling your duty of helping lift someone up, encourage someone to get involved in the ministry or whatever it is, the problem they have in their life, then what you are doing, you're helping them to never fulfill what God has called them to do. Think about this. Had Ananias never came alongside Saul... Paul may have never been the warrior for Christ that he turned out to be. What if Ananias would have said, get somebody else. I ain't going to him. Because as soon as his, uh, he gets his sight back, he's going to look at me and he's going to either throw me in prison or kill me. You know, and if Ananias would have said that, the next person would have probably said that too. And the next person too. And Paul would have never been the great warrior. You know, what is the chance we wouldn't even have this book right here? if Ananias had not done what God had called him to do. Now, here's another thing we need to understand about this. Exhorting involves honesty and sincerity. What did Paul tell young Timothy? He said, Timothy, preach the word. Preach the word. Be instant in season. Be instant out of season. Reprove, rebuke exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Now, I want you to think about this. Many have have the idea that exhorting means doing or saying whatever it takes to lift that individual up. Okay, so Pastor, you're saying that uh, if a person is down, a a person needs lifting up, that I just got to tell them what they need to hear in order to lift them up, even if what I'm saying is not true? No, that is not right. Look at here. When Paul says in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, he's saying whether the time is favorable or not, be honest, be patient, correct, rebuke, and encourage them. Look, simply telling someone, and this is so important, don't miss this, simply telling someone what you think they want to hear may many times do more harm good. Folks, we have to be honest with people. Encouraging them is not just telling them what you think they want to hear. Again, what did Paul say? Be instant in season and out. If it's popular for you to tell them this, or if it's not popular for you to tell them this, be in season, out of season. Rebuke, reprove. With all long-suffering, in other words, be patient with them and use the doctrine. Use the word of God. Many times we feel, well, if I tell them, you know, what they're doing is wrong, that may discourage them instead of lifting them up. Folks, can I tell you something? That's just the attitude Satan would have us to possess. You know, with this attitude, we may make the person feel better mentally, yet spiritually and emotionally, they're going to be defeated. Did God try to whitewash his plans for Paul? Paul? When he sent Ananias there, did God tell him, okay, you know, let's just tell him that God is going to use him. Let's just tell him, I want you to just tell him, Ananias, that God's got great things in store for him. No. What did he tell him? God's going to give you your sight back. God's going to send you out because you're going to be killed one day for him. Now, is that telling Paul what he wanted to hear? No. Ananias was honest with him God's going to use you in a great and mighty way and here's some things you're going to suffer along the way so yes we got to be honest with people we got to be honest with people how exhorting was that message to Paul God doesn't hide the truth and neither should we if it's the truth that sets us free Now, herein lies the problem with many with the gift of exhortation. They want to lift up their brother or sister. You know, feeling like the best way to do that is through positive reinforcement, positive words, positive actions. But please understanding, reproving and rebuking are positive things when done according to God's word. You know, a battery, a battery has to have a positive and a negative in order to work correctly, right? Exhorting is the same way. There's got to be some positive, but there's got to be some negative if exhorting is going to work the right way. Reprove, rebuke, in exhortation. That's what Paul is saying. There are some of you within this church body that have the gift of exhortation, and there are some within this church who need exhorting. And if you don't go to them and help lift them up, they may never be what God wants them to be, just like the Apostle Paul. Now, the next gift we're going to look at, many don't understand, unless they have it, okay? That is the gift of mercy. We must understand that the gift of mercy is a character of God. It is the character of God. If we're to understand the gift of mercy, we must understand the meaning of the word. Here's the meaning of the word mercy. Mercy means pity or compassion. You know, it's the term that is characteristic of the character of God. Many scripture gives us insight to this character of God. Uh, uh, Psalms 103 verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. God, uh, John, catch up with me there, brother. You know, and and for as heaven is high above the earth, so great is the mercy of God toward them that fear him. As the father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. What's he say? But mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto his children's children. That's the character of God is to have mercy upon us. You know, what these scriptures and many like them show is that God is merciful. God is pitying. God is compassion. God grants mercy. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, Happy are the merciful. Happy are the merciful. Why? Because they resemble God. You know, many can't feel compassionate for those out on the street. You know, we, yesterday we went to Houston for our homeless ministry. And by the way, 11 went. Okay. A good number of us went. In fact, the van was full. We couldn't have got another one. Miss Lucille, we couldn't have got you in there, baby. You know, but, uh, you know, we, we, we 11 of us went. But you know what? A lot of people can't feel compassion for those who are out on the street. They can't feel compassion for those who are in jail. They can't feel compassion for those without a job. But those with this gift of mercy, folks, it's their nature for their heart to go out to these type of people. You know, I, I, Well, every month we go, and yesterday too. You know, I, I sit and I, can, I just watch those with the gift of mercy. I can tell the one. I mean, everybody does their thing. Everybody's going because they feel like that's their ministry. But all of them don't, that go don't have the gift of mercy. But I can sit there and I can watch those with the gift of mercy. Because those homeless people. They don't always smell the greatest in the world, okay? Uh, You know, and, you know, they can be scary at times. But those with the gift of mercy, they don't have a problem putting their arm around them. Putting their arm around them and just talking to them and praying with them and asking them what, you know, what their needs are, why they need to be prayed. Others will be giving out stuff, you know. But those with the gift of mercy, I can spot them. I can spot them because their heart goes out to the people and they're there to just do whatever they need to do to meet that needs. Those with this gift have the ability to sympathize with the feelings of those who some would never even give the time of day. They love to share the hurt of those that most would turn their back on. Their biggest concern is to remove the hurt of those about them. Remember I said last week, as we was talking about, you know, the 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 person with the uh, the gift of faith. That if you want somebody to cry with you, don't go to somebody with the gift of faith, because those with the gift of faith are able to look beyond the problem and see, hey, you know, there, there's light at the end of the tunnel. But if you want someone to cry with you, if you want someone to you know to to share your hurt here, this is the person you need, the person with the gift of mercy, because that person will sit and cry. With you, look. There's a confusion many times with the with grace and mercy. You see, many times the concept of mercy is confused with the concept of grace. You know, in the Scripture, and when we talk about God's grace and God's mercy, we sometimes don't distinguish between the two. Grace is extended to mankind in relation to the guilt, which is the result of sin. Where mercy is extended to mankind in relate to misery, which is a result of their situation. To make it simple, grace is related to guilt. Mercy is related to misery. Grace is God taking care of our sin. Mercy is God taking care of the mess that I'm in. That's the difference in the two. Now... In uh, Matthew chapter nine, verse twenty-seven through twenty-nine, let's look at some illustrations of uh, of of mercy in the life of Jesus. And when Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him, crying and saying unto him, "Thou Son of David, have what on us? I, I can't hear. I don't have hearing aids. That's a whole lot better." Have mercy, have mercy on us. And when he was coming to the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Believe you that I'm able to do this? And they said, Yea, Lord. Then touched he their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. You see, what we see here is this. Jesus extended his mercy upon these in relation to the misery of that they were in. Then in Matthew chapter 15 we see this example. Then Jesus went thence and departed to the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold a woman of Canaan came out of the coast and cried unto him. Saying have. Y'all going to catch on here in a minute. Have. Mercy. There you go. That's a whole lot better. Chad you need to get with these folks and teach them how to respond. Okay. Have mercy on me, O oh Lord, Thou Son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. Again, what do we see here? Jesus extended His mercy in relation to the misery of this woman. That's what mercy is about. What do those uh, these verses tell us about mercy? Mercy is extended to the poor. Mercy is extended to those with physical handicaps. Mercy is, you know, is extended to those with mental disorders and so on. In other words, the gift of mercy reaches out to those in misery, whatever that misery might be. And again, they're able to come alongside them, put their arm around them. If need be, cry with them. Pray with them. Okay? Whatever it takes those of whom others would not even give the time of the day. You remember in Luke chapter 10, the story of Jesus, he, he told, uh, the story Jesus told about a man who fell among thieves. They stripped him of his raiment. They wounded him. They departed him. They left him laying on the street for dead. Well, Jesus had this to say about the person who did come along. He said, a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed along... He came to where this man was laying in the road. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. Now, don't miss this. All these religious people had done walk past him. In fact, they even got on the other side of the road. They didn't want nowhere around this guy. But this Samaritan had compassion on him, and he went to him, and he doctored up his wounds. He poured oil, and he poured wine on him, and he set him on his donkey. His beast, and brought him to the inn to take care of him. You know what this guy had? Mercy. Amen. I think he had mercy, okay? He had mercy. All these religious leaders went right past this guy. Jesus pointed out that it was the Samaritan that had mercy and stopped to render aid when all these religious people just passed him by. And if you'll recall, Samaritans were looked down upon by the Jews because of them being half-Jew. And yet it was this one who was looked down on by the others that had the gift of Y'all got it now, we're at the end of the sermon. Okay, of mercy. Look, what is the gift of mercy? The gift of mercy is the ability to sympathize with a suffering person, to come alongside the poor, the sick, the destitute, the orphan, the widow, or those in prison, and minister to them, and minister to them. Now, one weakness of those with this gift tends to be <laughs> they avoid firmness. A person with the gift of mercy, they don't want to be firm with people. And that, that is a weakness of this gift. Again, just like with the gift of exhortation, sometimes you've got to give both sides here okay and they're usually gentle and comforting and because of this they've got to be careful they've got to be careful because especially with the opposite sex you got your arm around them and you're sympathizing with them and you know it can be taken the wrong way if you know what I'm saying so you really have to be careful another thing is they will be taken advantage of by others there was a, a, an old man in the last church I pastored, Brother Emery Waddell. This guy had the gift of mercy like no one else I'd ever seen. But people would take advantage of him. I mean, he'd give his last dollar to them if they had a sad story. And, I mean, he, he, he I mean, he was in the prisons all the time ministering, you know, And, you know, them guys would get out. He even moved one in with him and stole everything he had. Didn't bother him. And I tried telling him, Brother Waddell, they're taking advantage of you. They're taking advantage of you. So those with the gift of mercy, don't be taken advantage of. And it's easy for you to do because you feel compassion for the people. Okay? You feel compassion. Uh let me just uh I think I'll close right there, but uh let me give you a, a quick story. W. A. Criswell, who pastored First Baptist Church of Dallas for I guess 550 years. I don't know. He was there a long time. He used to tell a story of a little girl who came home from school one day. And she told her mama, she said, Mom, my best friend came to school today and said that her mother died her mom said honey that is so sad what did you say to her she said mom I didn't say nothing to her she said I just sat beside her and cried with her what do you think that little girl had the gift of mercy the gift of mercy you know we have those within our church body. That sometimes they don't need to be told by somebody with the gift of faith, I'll be okay, you know, there's light at the end of the tunnel. They don't just need to be lifted up by exhortation and saying, you know, come on, I'll help you dust the britches off and let's move on. Sometimes they just need somebody to sit and cry with them. That's why God gave you the gift of mercy if you have the gift of mercy. To be there. For those time of people. This is mercy. Feeling what others feel. And being there for them. Oh how we need those. That will just cry with us. From time to time. What did Paul say? Rejoice with them that do rejoice. And weep. With those who weep. What about you here this morning? What are you doing with the spiritual gift. That God has given you. We've looked at five so far. The gift of giving. If you have the gift of giving, are you giving of your time and your talents and of your finances the way God would do- desire you to? The gift of service. Are you involved in ministry here at the church somehow or another? You know, serving, excuse me, serving the church in the way God would have you. The gift of faith. You have the gift of faith. Are you just encouraging others, let's move on. Yes, I know you're going through some things in your life, but I'm, you know, let, let, there's light at the end of the tunnel. You're going to go through this. You're going to get through this if you'll trust God. Let's go through it. Let's go through it together. Or maybe you have the gift of exhortation. Are you coming alongside others and encouraging them like Ananias done with Paul? Or maybe you've got the gift of Mercy. Are you coming alongside those who are hurting and just being there for them? If it means just crying with them, then cry with them, whatever it might be. The question is, are you using the gift that God has given you to put in this body, this church, Fairview Baptist Church? If not, maybe you need to make a commitment to God. Now, we still got some speaking gifts to go through, okay? But maybe with these serving gifts, you're here and you have one of those. I encourage you, put it to use in the body of Christ like He intends for you to do. Okay? If you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, there's a free gift waiting for you. Okay? A free gift waiting for you. Chances are, if um, Walmart advertised, there's a free gift. For everyone who comes through those doors, all the idiots, I mean, I didn't say idiots. (laughs) All the idiots would just flood Walmart for a free gift, would they not? None of y'all would, but all the idiots would. You get trampled, you're right. Why aren't people trampling one another over the free gift of salvation that God has to offer? just doesn't make no sense, does it? Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. He took your place on the cross. And all you have to do to receive that gift of eternal life is accept his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Turn your heart and your life over to him. Begin serving him. You'll receive that gift of salvation. And on top of that, you'll receive one or more spiritual gifts to put the use in this church body. Let's pray.